The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Do you want to accomplish great things for God? I do. I want to serve the Lord and fulfill the purpose He set for me in my generation. But to stay on the straight and narrow and to be useful for God, we'll have to avoid at all costs the deception that the world has in store for you and me. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. It's time to take seriously the stern Bible warning that deception is going to be a major danger in these last days. Jesus said to his disciples, watch out that no one deceives you. And the apostle Paul warned that the spirit of God clearly warned and predicted that in the last days, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and even doctrines of demons. Paul revealed that the Antichrist, whose coming is after the working of Satan, will exhibit all power in signs and lying wonders. Jesus also warned that even the elect could be deceived, signifying the danger of being drawn away from the truth. So who exactly are the elect in the Bible? Well, the elect are the true believers, disciples of Jesus, and members of his mystical body, the church. As long as we look to the Lord for discernment, for guidance and protection, and as long as we put troubling spirits to the test with this word of God, we'll be able to withstand strong temptations. But what exactly does the Bible mean when it says to test the spirits? The necessity to put spirits to the test is mentioned in 1 John 4.1, where the Apostle John said, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit that comes along, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now is definitely the time to fortify ourselves against great deception. In fact, Jesus' number one admonition for the last days was to guard against deception. And the book of Revelation indicates that very soon, Satan, whose title means the adversary, he'll become even more aggressive because the evil one knows his time to wreak havoc on this earth is limited by God. And sadly, evolution will continue to deceive many. Have you noticed how the media has been buzzing with news that another supposed human ancestor has been found in Africa? Fifteen partial skeletons in a South African cave were discovered by evolutionist Lee Berger, whose controversial claims have been in the news off and on since 2011. Berger claimed this mixed bag of bones could be up to three million years old. Naming it Homo Nagleti, Berger believes the remains are not human, but are a bridge between bipeds, between apes and humans. London's Natural History Museum's Chris Stringer, another evolutionist, 
claims that Homo naledi and similar discoveries suggest that nature was experimenting with how to evolve humans, giving rise to several different types of humanoid-like creatures originating in parallel in different parts of Africa. But according to the website Answers in Genesis, we can say with confidence that this so-called discovery changes nothing about our understanding of human history. You see, the only eyewitness account of human origins is the one provided by God, our Creator, in the book of Genesis in the Bible. Of course, no scientist was an eyewitness of the origin of man. Evolutionists can only speculate that there were intermediate evolutionary links between apes and man because they disregard God's word. They substitute their own fallible opinions in the place of God's revealed word. Well, as the time draws nearer and nearer to the second coming of Jesus, as predicted in the Bible, there are going to be increased zones of strangeness and sightings of what's believed to be extraterrestrials. But in reality, many of these sightings will be demonic entities, which are quite capable of masquerading as deceptive signs and wonders from other dimensions. The New Testament says we shouldn't be deceived in that even Satan himself transports and transforms himself into an angel of light. Meanwhile, a new supernatural worldview is developing, preparing the way for the prophesied man of sin, the Antichrist. In many quarters, the prevailing sentiment is that mankind is evolving into demigods versus the biblical worldview that all men are sinners who are vitally in need of the one and only Savior, Jesus the Lord. I know it sounds just like science fiction, but according to the Bible, the last days will be like the days of Noah, when the Bible says fallen angels, demons, interacted with men. And during the past decades, there has been an explosion of UFO sightings. The deception of fallen angels will appear again at the end of the age. Meanwhile, Pope Francis has challenged basic Christian doctrine. He's a controversial church leader to watch because he's the first pontiff in history to have expressed an ambition to baptize an extraterrestrial. That's quite an extraordinary claim to fame that has gone unnoticed by millions. But the Pope's ambition is, in fact, a bold-faced heresy since the Gospels clearly proclaim that Jesus died on, for earth men and for earth women and not for any other alleged creatures from outer space. If there are other worlds with living creatures, perhaps we may speculate that they never fell and perhaps they wouldn't need a Savior. But this world definitely needs a Savior to make atonement for us because of our original sin. On earth, we can account for our history of sin, going all the way back to Adam and the advent of the Redeemer. 
But the church is not responsible for evangelizing and baptizing any supposed creatures originating outside the realm of this present world. Why, in fact, does the Vatican have a sophisticated astronomical observatory in Arizona in the United States, which goes by the unbelievable name Lucifer? This is documented by Christian authors Chuck Missler and Thomas Horn, who also discussed the possibilities of the return of giants and fallen ones as described in the Bible called the Nephilim. I'm quite alarmed by the naive attitude of many believers who communicate with me daily in emails, at my website, or through the social media. Frequently, I'm sent the most outrageous links being presented as if they were somehow gospel truth. In all seriousness, I'm not kidding you, recently a believer sent me a video labeling a well-known leader as the Antichrist and claiming that he was protected by an alien security guard. In actuality, the alien appeared to be a typical security officer, bald and clean-shaven, with an earpiece in his ear. The TV lighting that was shining on the bald man's head gave the illusion of horns, but it was not the least bit convincing to any sensible person. Well, recently I attended a lecture by a member of the Royal Astronomical Society, and he was discussing a genuine photograph of the moon transiting the Earth. But he said that you can hardly trust any photo on the Internet these days. This is because of the sophistication and proliferation of photoshopping techniques that enhance or change images by using layering and cloning techniques. I myself discovered this recently. I took a course on photo imaging and I learned that Photoshop has become so sophisticated that people and objects can be picked up in a photo and moved somewhere else or totally eliminated and so forth. Nothing is as it first appears to be on the internet, that's for sure. So how can we protect ourselves from deception in general? First of all, a knowledge of the Word of God is mandatory. We have to make a commitment to the inerrancy of the Word of God in a world that wants to take anybody's word over and above the Lord's stated record, this Bible. Secondly, if we have invited the Lord into our hearts, He will abide within us and His Holy Spirit will teach us all things. For the born-again believer, the Holy Spirit gives us inside information. You see, the Holy Spirit's presence will alert us with an inner alarm system when something's not right. The gift of the discerning of spirits, knowing right from wrong, good from evil, is a gift from God that we must yield to and develop through practice and use. The more we listen and yield to the Holy Spirit's guidance, when the Holy Spirit warns us intuitively, the more accurate our walk with the Lord will become. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about one aspect of end-time deception that believers must face. And it has to do with abuses and showmanship in the ministry. 
Any genuine person who's called to the ministry suffers greatly from the Saul's and the Judas's and the trials and tribulations caused by false brethren. When a person is called by God to build a ministry, there are many detractors and also imitators. A passage from Psalm 66 has been a comfort to me through the years. And every time I read this verse, it's uplifted. It says, for you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You allowed people to ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. You see, for nearly 40 years, I've been involved in active ministry. And having been brought up in the home of a church leader, I guess you could say that all of my life I've been involved in ministry. And I've been privileged to participate in moves of the Holy Spirit, to be part of a revival in Africa and in Arabia. And I've participated in many of the prophetic moves of the Holy Spirit in recent decades. Not only have we seen great moves of the Holy Spirit, but we've also witnessed extraordinary abuses in the name of ministry. My husband and I have been privileged to serve the Lord with some of the most genuine men of God in our generation. But on the other hand, it's impossible to be immune from coming across wolves in, in sheep's clothing. These interlopers don't preach Messiah, they preach themselves. Often they're overly ambitious, and stepping on anybody and anything to try to get ahead. We've known people who usurped others' ministries that didn't really belong to them. We've also been saddened, shocked, and warned by some of the great men and women of God who have fallen into sin. But some areas of deception are far more subtle. For example, recently I read an article by a pastor in the American state of Florida who admitted that some of the signs and wonders techniques of street evangelism currently being used are in fact manipulative and can be deceptive. We have to be so careful not to play with the anointing of the Lord and that's why it takes a certain amount of seasoning and maturity to handle the Lord's anointing properly and in a trustworthy manner. The more time a person spends in the ministry, the more he or she matures and learns to be careful with the Lord's anointing and glory. That's why the Bible cautions against novices and young people taking leadership. I know many who are pushing young leaders forward would take issue with me about this, arguing that we have to attract the youth to the ministry. But wisdom is justified by her children, and young leaders need to be mentored and seasoned before being given major responsibilities. The Florida pastor wrote that for many years he was personally involved with numerous prophetic schools and popular churches from around the USA who would go out on the streets every week to do prophetic and supernatural evangelism, doing all sorts of techniques, including free spiritual reading tents, handing out bottles of water, and asking people if they could pray with them to try to lure them into a supernatural encounter with God. I also have led many teams in evangelism 
particularly in the Middle East, and much wisdom is needed continually in how to approach people with the gospel and with Bibles. I agreed so much with the sentiments of this pastor because he went on to say that after about 10 years of outreaches, God began to open up his eyes to deceptive practices that needed to be adjusted. What good does it do, he wrote, to go out and lay hands on the sick and on the cripple if we never tell them that the Bible requires that they repent and that they live a consecrated life and become disciples of the Lord. You see, unfortunately, we've developed a culture in much of Western charismatic Christianity where people are addicted to prophetic words and demonstrating the love of God without emphasizing character or inner transformation and godly living. A woman wrote to me recently that she had watched one of my videos on the second coming and she was frightened because she realized that she wasn't ready for the Lord to return. This is because she had been living with her boyfriend without the benefit of marriage for 15 years. And she claimed she had been a Christian for the past five years of that time. But can a person be a fornicator and a Christian? If we're not careful, we can become so conformed to the way the world thinks and addicted to spine-tingling prophecies that we reject inward transformation. Well, we need to repent if we're praying for healing while living in sin or prophesying to people, but yet not preaching the full gospel by telling people that they must pick up their cross daily and follow the Lord. Just the other day, also, a person wrote to me to rebuke me for including repentance in one of my prayers at the end of one of these exploits TV programs. Can you believe that? That's how deceived people have become. They think you can live by faith without repentance. Yet, repentance is part and parcel of the Great Commission of Jesus. In Luke 24 and verse 47, the Lord specified that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Well, what does repentance really mean? In my studies, I discovered at least five ingredients and characteristics of repentance as described in the Bible. Number one, repentance is not necessarily an emotion, but it's a decided step and a deep conviction of our own unworthiness. It's real regret for wrongs done and for service undone that we should have done. Secondly, repentance is turning around and returning to the heart of God. Like the young man in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, repentance is coming back to Father God from our wanderings in the far country of estrangement in the far country of disobedience, of forgetfulness, or even hostility to God. Repentance is purposing to seek the Father's face and favor. Thirdly, repentance is rejecting tolerance of evil so that sin is shunned and sin is hated. 
We don't hate the sinner, but we do hate the sin. Recently, in an Anglican church service, we witnessed the admittance of adult members to the church, and one of the questions that the officiating bishop asked was for the communicant to renounce the devil. Well, when was the last time you've heard anybody renouncing the devil? Yet, this is something we must do from time to time. The fourth element of repentance that we don't hear about these days is the pursuit of moral excellence. And number five, repentance in order to be real must be immediate. It must be now. It should not be postponed. But let's look at the second part of the Lord's Great Commission in the Gospel of Luke. Not only was repentance to be preached beginning in Jerusalem, hallelujah, but equally to be preached, he said, is forgiveness, repentance, and remission of sins. You see, the good news is that forgiveness is full with God. The Lord's forgiveness is without reservations. In the parable of the lost wayward son who was forgiven when he came home, he wasn't relegated to the servant's quarters, although he thought that was all he deserved. However, to his immense surprise, he was treated like a son. He was given the best robe to wear, shoes, and a ring was put on his finger. He was treated to a feast with a fatted calf that was killed and cooked just in his honor. This speaks of the mercy that we receive through Jesus, the Messiah. The Lord's mercy is offered in his name, and it's perfect mercy. It's full, it's entire, it's complete. All of our past transgressions are absolutely forgiven and absolved so that our sins will never be held against us, and our sins will never stand between us and the love of God. We're counted among God's own children, we're made his legal heirs, and we have free access to his presence, to his throne. We're welcome to call God by the most endearing name, Abba, Father. And our forgiveness is immediate. It's, it's not something vaguely to be received in the future. There's no probation period. There's no apprenticeship to be served. We don't have to wait to prove ourselves. We aren't sentenced to menial service before we gain our family status. No, as soon as we repent and return to God, at that moment, we're graciously welcomed to the throne of God. All that's required of us is to exercise simple faith. We're to seek and to find forgiveness in Messiah's name. Yeshua is his Hebrew name, Jesus. By living faith in the divine Savior. I hope you'll receive the Lord's lavish forgiveness right now. Well, the Florida pastor that I was quoting earlier said the Holy Spirit recently called him to repent from worshiping miracles rather than the God of miracles. He recognized the deception of seeking gifts rather than the giver. This is serious and we can all fall into this trap of extolling and worshiping gifts and miracles in our zeal for results. After all, if we do take the gospel seriously, we can expect results and miracles. 
because Jesus himself said in the Great Commission in the Gospel of Mark that miraculous signs will follow believers. He said, we'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover and so forth. But the pastor confessed that he had become unbalanced. He said he had become overly interested in signs and wonders. He became obsessed with showmanship and miracles. He was more eager to release miracles and to give a more spectacular prophetic word than others. That he was to pray to the God of miracles. He had begun to point people to miracle power rather than to the God of miracle power. But this was amazing. One night, the pastor said that he dreamed about hell. And in the dream, he was shown miracle workers who went to hell because they had never really known the Lord. He also saw multitudes of people that had received his own miracle working power while they were alive but yet they'd never truly given their hearts and lives to the Lord. That was really scary. But this is biblical. What did Jesus himself say in Matthew chapter 7? Let's look at Matthew 7 and verses 22 to 23. Very well-known verses. Jesus said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name didn't we drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then the Lord said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Wow, this is so serious. I often think about these words because they're very scary for all of us in miracle working ministries. I'm speaking of those of us who are willing to stick our necks out and actually pray for the sick and believe for gospel results. After all, praying for the sick and miracles are part of the Great Commission. We can't deny that, although many do. However, the Florida pastor wrote that if you're addicted to miracles and to the prophetic and you don't possess a true obsession with Jesus, I ask you to repent and turn from this deception. Well, that requires a Selah moment, doesn't it? Well, the casual laying on of hands in many lax church groups and conferences can also be dangerous and deceptive because of the possibility of the transference of spirits. And so I try to emphasize and caution about this from time to time. And so if we're training and activating believers into the prophetic and into supernatural ministry without preaching holiness and living righteously before the Lord, we're potentially living dangerously and causing others to live dangerously. Well, I have to bring this to a close now. Deception is all around us and it's so important to know that we're inside the ark of safety, Jesus the Messiah himself. You might say to me, Christine, Jesus died nearly 2,000 years ago, so how can I know here in the 21st century that he died for me? But I want to assure you that it's written in God's word that Messiah died for our sins according to these scriptures. Not according to our feelings, but according to this word. Trust the Savior. Trust this book. The good news of the gospel is that Messiah has already shed his innocent blood. 
He's risen up on high as our advocate. And our salvation is a finished work by him, according to the scriptures. All we must do is repent and by faith receive his forgiveness and purpose to live for him. Part of living for him is living a consecrated life and being baptized as an outward sign of an inward transformation. I hope with all of my heart that you're not too skeptical or too proud to be saved God's way by the blood of Jesus because his blood is the final remedy that God has prescribed. When you study the Bible carefully, you learn that all sin is put away by blood and Jesus himself became the final holy blood sacrifice on the altar of the cross for our sins, our sins past, present, and future. So the choice is simple. Either you're saved by trying to keep the whole law, which is impossible to do over a lifetime of striving, or you humble yourselves and receive the Lord's atonement without price. That means our guilt is put away by his blood and God accepts us on his terms as pardon sinners. We become without spot, without wrinkle, and we become presented faultless to the Father through Jesus as his dear cleansed child. Amen and amen. Thank you for staying with me and for watching our programs. I'd like to invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv where you can request our free magazine and learn about our Holy Land conferences or have access to our videos and news 24-7. And please tell your friends about our social media. Until next time, contending for the faith and praying for the peace of Jerusalem always. I'm Christine Darg. Shalom. I'm so grateful to God that we can make the Jerusalem Channel available to a global audience and to you. There's so much spam in the airwaves and on the internet to distract us from what's really important. Every day it seems that there's another internet sensation, usually a pet performing silly tricks or something like that. The experts claim that our attention span for watching a video is just a minute or two. And even that needs razzle-dazzle effects with a thumping soundtrack to retain viewers' interest, so they claim. Well, that's just not what we're about. Taking God's Word seriously and explaining what the Lord is doing in this critical hour means that our videos are at least a half hour of content. And we're honored to say that over three quarters of a million people watch our free video teachings. Now, if we were a big church or a large media ministry, we would have all the necessary resources to make the Jerusalem Channel possible, but we're not. We're just a small team with a mandate to declare a biblical message and to help you understand God's heart for Israel in the surrounding nations. And because God also loves the Muslims, the Hindus, and everybody in the world, our ministry also shares the good news of saving health to all nations. Although we make do with a vital support from you, our viewers and website visitors, there's so much more we could accomplish in the critical harvest days ahead. 
One major goal is to offer our videos in other languages. In Hebrew, Arabic, German, French, Spanish, Hindu, Urdu, and so on. But that will only be possible with your help. Our ministry is tax-deductible in the United States, and we're also a registered charity in the UK, which allows us to claim gift aid on qualifying donations. We really need you to help the Jerusalem Channel continue and grow. You can make a credit or a debit card donation online at our website, jerusalemchannel.tv, or by phone. In the USA, it's toll-free at 1-888-245-2692. And in the UK, our national rates number is 300 561 Travel zero five. Thanks so much for being a part of this end time outreach and praying for the peace of Jerusalem.